Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Wow. So much going on. (laughs) Our federal government is hiding information from Donald Trump about our infiltration of the Russian power system. Really? The American dream is alive and well in China. Trump is in a fury, thinking he's going to lose his re-election, which is his only chance to stay out of jail, to run out the uh, statute of limitations on the crimes that he committed in this first couple of years in office. It's piling higher and higher and higher. Well, let's just go through some of these. This is, you know, genuinely, shockingly, startlingly American disintegration, it seems. This is a piece by Marshall Auerbach from the Independent Media Institute over at Truthdig. Homeownership has been called the quintessential American dream, he writes, yet today fewer than 65% of American homes are owner-occupied, and more than 50% of the equities in those homes is owned by the banks. Okay, So basically, half of all equity in homes in America are owned by banks, and only 65% of American homes are occupied by people who own them. Now, how does that compare with China? In China, 90% of families in the country own their own home, giving China one of the highest home ownership rates in the world. 80% of those homes are owned outright, no mortgages, no liens. On top of this, north of 20% of urban households, people who live in big cities, own more than one home. And here's where it gets, I mean, this is, this like gets us into where it all came from and how it happens. 70% of Chinese millennials, these are people, young people 19 to 36 years old, 70% of them already own their own homes. American young people cannot afford to buy homes, Marshall Auerbach writes, because they are saddled with student debt, a millstone that now averages $37,000 per student and will be carried an average of 20 years before it's paid off. 80% of American workers living paycheck to paycheck, 60% of U.S. millennials couldn't come up with $500 to cover their tax bills. So why is it the 70% of Chinese millennials now own their own homes? Student debt is non-existent in China. You can go to college for free. If you can get into the school, 
or cheap, cheap, depending on the school. Healthcare is subsidized by the government with a state-run insurance program very similar to Canada's. And public transportation is ubiquitous in China. Fast, efficient, it's everywhere. Household debt in the United States is 136% of household income. Household debt in China is 17% of household income. Do you get that? The average family in America owes 136% more money, 1.3 times more money than they earn. So if the family is earning, say, $30,000 a year, they probably owe 40, 45,000, whatever the math on that is, in the neighborhood of $40,000. In China, if they own $30,000 a year, they only owe 17% of that. I can't do the math in my head that fast, but that would be, what, less than $10,000. 70% of Chinese wealth, family wealth, comes not from salaries, but from home ownership itself. This is astonishing. And what's even more astonishing, you know, to add to that astonishment, is the fact that we helped build this. It was a change in our trade policies made by Reagan and then Bush and then Clinton, all three of them, you know, leading us toward and then giving, I think it was late in the Clinton administration, might have been early in the new Bush administration, giving China permanent normal trade relations status, you know, most favored nation status and all this kind of stuff, getting them into the World Trade Organization. This turned China into this major, major powerhouse. And, you know, they're eating the lunch of the rest of the world. So, I mean, just, just consider that, you know, one more time. I mean, just think about this seriously. 70% of Chinese millennials, these are people under 36 years old, 70% of them already own their own home. In China, of the people who own their own homes, 80% of them have no mortgage. They literally own their own home. In China, most people don't get mortgages to buy a home. They save for a couple of years where they've got enough money, they buy a house. So 70% of Chinese millennials have already bought their own home and 80% of the homes in China are fully owned. 90% of all families in the country, it's 70% of millennials, 90% of everybody in China owns a home. Whereas in the United States, it's around 60% of families own homes, and of them, more than half of them have a mortgage that is worth more than half of the cost of the home. In fact, 60% of U.S. millennials, keep in mind, 70% of Chinese millennials already own their own homes. 60% of U.S. millennials couldn't come up with 500 bucks to cover a tax bill. And once again, the reason, very straightforward. In China, education is free or cheap, depending on where you go to school. So basically, nobody in China has student debt. In the United States, the average student debt is $37,000 a student, and the average student carries that debt for 20 years, which means that the average bank is making probably $40,000, $60,000 in interest payments on the average student loan. 80% of American workers live paycheck to paycheck. So you take that, and then you look at this... And this, I will tell you right up front, this is a conspiracy theory that may be totally wild, totally bizarre, totally off the mark. I might be nuts. But I think it's weird and interesting that we have seen around the world, now the most recently was down in Uruguay and part of Paraguay and part of Argentina, I believe it was, 
these massive grid failures, these massive power failures. Now, when this first started happening, there was another one here in the United States a couple of, uh, you know, a month or so ago. There was one someplace in Europe. I forget which country, but there have been a bunch of these. And I was assuming when I'd hear about these, you know, these grid collapses, that this was global warming, that, you know, places are just, you know, much warmer than they used to be. And as a consequence of being much warmer, they're, you know, demanding more air conditioning, which demands more electricity, which is overloading the grids and the grids are blowing up. That was my guess. And then comes out this story in the New York Times last week. Seth Abramson rewrote the headline to be, Pentagon believes Trump will betray country if given a chance. It turns out that our Pentagon, according to the New York Times, and nobody is denying this. In fact, Donald Trump has tweeted that by exposing this story, by telling this story to the world, the New York Times committed treason, a word that Trump is using more and more and more as he tries to drain meaning from that word before it's turned on him. We've all seen this game before, right? He did that with collusion. He did that with obstruction. But the New York Times article comes out and says that the U.S. government has implanted malware or spyware or whatever you call this ware into the electric grid in Russia. And frankly, I mean, you know, we did this with the centrifuges in Iran about a decade ago. Remember using a piece of software that was, I believe, was collaboratively developed between Israeli and U.S. intelligence. And we blew up their centrifuges and set back their nuclear program. Well, apparently, we're fixing to take down Moscow's power grid or some variation on that, some part of Russia's power grid. And now I look back on all these power grid failures that have happened over the last month or so, and there's been like four or five major ones, as I recall. And I'm starting to wonder, is this us messing with them? Is this China telling us, hey, we know what you're up to and we're ready to mess with you? Is this Russia saying we know what you're up to and we're ready to mess with you? Is this how World War III gets played out or how it starts? I mean, this is, this is some serious and frankly dangerous stuff. But this idea that, I mean, China's middle class has now, you know, just exploded past America's middle class. More people being educated. Nobody has student debt. Everybody has health care. College is cheap to free. And then Politico comes out with this article, are the U.S. and China on a war footing in space? Kuo Liang is a major general in the Chinese Air Force, and he just co-wrote a book titled, this is the title of the book that was written by a major general in the Chinese Air Force, Unrestricted Warfare, China's Master Plan to Destroy America. And he says, you know, you guys took down the Soviet Union by all that spending on nuclear weapons. They couldn't keep up with you. We're not the Soviet Union. He says, China is not the Soviet Union. This was an interview with the South China Morning Post, paper out of Hong Kong. He says, if the United States thinks it can also drag China into an arms race and take down China as it did with the Soviets, in the end, probably it would not be China who is down on the ground. And all our antibiotics are made in China. Actually, I'm not sure it's all. I think a number of them are made in India, too, but... We can't make cruise missiles without chips from China. We can't run our hospitals without, without stuff from China. I mean, there actually is something to be said for having a domestic manufacturing base that goes beyond just the good jobs argument. There's a national security argument.
And Trump apparently so upset that his own polls are showing him losing literally to every Democrat, although the only name I heard this morning on television was Joe Biden, but it shows all the top five. He's losing to all of them. Bill and Sebastian, Florida. Hey, Bill, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. Bill, what's on your mind today? Yeah, from what I understand, I saw a segment on, I think it was that Chinese news station, where they had 20 million homes that they couldn't find residents for in China. I'm wondering why they can't develop a plan here in this country to start some sort of development like that for low-income and middle-income Right. Interested home buyers. I mean, it's only a common sense thing to do. And if Trump is such a genius, let him figure that out. You yeah, know? I completely agree. And the fact of the matter is there are more empty homes in the United States than there are homeless people, number one. And number two, part of the problem is that an awful lot of those are actually owned by Chinese. <laughs> or Japanese or, or Europeans or Russians or whatever, you know, people all over the world who are looking to park money are increasingly parking it in U.S. real estate. But China, the reason China has unoccupied apartments and unoccupied houses is that the government has been running a continuous stimulus program to build their economy out. And part of that stimulus is building infrastructure and housing. And so they'll literally build a city and then slowly populate it. We've got nothing well, like it that. It seems to me that it'd be a great idea for someone Bill, you're, you're, you're fading away again. You've got to keep that microphone near your mouth if you want to talk. Yeah, I can't hear you, Bill. I'm sorry. Anyhow, Mike in Richmond, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, Tom, how are you, buddy? Good. What's up? Hey, listen, I just kind of wanted to uh, let you guys know and kind of complain a little bit about, you know, I stand on my soapbox every day and I complain about this and that, and a lot of people don't want to hear it because... Their attitude is the lesser of two evils, and that's the way it is, Mike. And it's, it doesn't have to be this way, you know? I worked really hard to get through the apprenticeship program with the Carpenters Union, right? After I had, I lost my accounting job after 9-11, mm. and uh, I make really good money, but the problem is I don't bring home good money. You know, I give 500 a week to the feds, right? And then I, I sit back and I watch the federal government, you know, <laughs> squander that money. You know, the Republicans complain about abortions and gay rights and they, you can't get married if you're gay. You know, and it's like, dude, really, this is where you're spending my money? Yeah. I mean, can't you focus on something that's a little more good for everybody? Yeah. Actually, they're not spending your money. They're spending money that they collected 20 and 30 years ago with a $21 trillion uh, deficit. They're spending borrowed money. Uh, much of it borrowed from China, by the way. Mike, I get it. Thanks a lot for the call, and thanks for sharing your story with us. So yesterday for Father's Day, uh, Louise and I went out and climbed a mountain. Well, part of one. <laughs> and boy, am I sore. And, uh, you know, then I had to go back and sit in my, in my office chair. And, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm working on this next book. And it's like, ah, why? Because it's the X chair. The X chair provides customized support in an office chair. I mean, when it comes to supporting perfect posture, providing ideal back support, 
No office chair compares to the X chair. The secret is the X chair's dynamic variable lumbar supporter, DVL. This patented feature is what sets the X chair apart from every other office chair in the world. Ideal posture and support equals comfort, and when you're comfortable, the hours spent in the office honestly fly by. Feel the DVL difference for yourself. Try next year for 30 days completely risk-free. X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. You can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWheels and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels for your X-Chair. That's xchairtom.com xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Mueller Report. This is page 94. The subtitle is Additional George Papadopoulos Contact. The office investigated another Russia-related contact with Papadopoulos. The office was not fully able to explore the contact because the individual at issue, Sergei Malian, remained out of the country since the inception of our investigation and declined to meet with members of the office despite our repeated efforts to obtain an interview. Papadopoulos first contacted with Milian via LinkedIn on July 15, 2016, shortly after Papadopoulos attended the TAG Summit with Clovis. Milian, an American citizen who is a native of Belarus, introduced himself as president of the New York-based Russian-American Chamber of Commerce and claimed that through that position he had insider knowledge and direct access to the top hierarchy in Russian politics. Papadopoulos asked Timofeev whether he had heard of Million. Although Timofeev said no, Papadopoulos met Million in New York City. The meetings took place on July 30th and August 1, 2016. Afterwards, Millian invited Papadopoulos to attend and potentially speak at two international energy conferences, including one to be held in Moscow in September 2016. Papadopoulos ultimately did not attend either conference. On July 31, 2016, following his first in-person meeting with Millian, Papadopoulos emailed Trump campaign official Bo Dzinski to say that he had been contacted by some leaders of Russian-American voters here in the U.S. about their interest in voting for Mr. Trump and to ask whether he should put you in touch with their group, the U.S.-Russian Chamber of Commerce. Dzinski thanked Papadopoulos for taking the initiative but asked him to hold off with outreach to Russian-Americans because too many articles had already portrayed the Trump campaign, then-campaign chairman Paul Manafort and candidate Trump as being pro-Russian. On August 23, 2016, Millian sent a Facebook message to Papadopoulos promising that he would, quote, share with you a disruptive technology that might be instrumental in your political work for the campaign. Papadopoulos claimed to have no recollection of this matter. On November 9, 2016, shortly after the election, Papadopoulos arranged to meet Millian in Chicago to discuss business opportunities, including potential work with Russian, quote, billionaires who are not under sanctions. The meeting took place on November 14, 2016, at the Trump Hotel and Tower in Chicago. According to Papadopoulos, the two men discussed partnering on business deals, but Papadopoulos perceived that Millian's attitude toward him changed when Papadopoulos stated that he was only pursuing private sector opportunities and was not interested in a job in the Trump administration. The two remained in contact, however, and had extended online discussions about possible business opportunities in Russia. The two also arranged to meet at a Washington, D.C. bar when both attended Trump's inauguration in late January 2017. Number three, Carter Page. Carter Page worked for the Trump campaign from January 2016 to September 2016. 
He was formally and publicly announced as a foreign policy advisor by the candidate in March of 2016. Page had lived and worked in Russia, and he had been approached by Russian intelligence officers several times before he volunteered for the Trump campaign. During his time with the campaign, Page advocated pro-Russian foreign policy positions and traveled to Moscow in his personal capacity. Russian intelligence officials have formed relationships with Page in 2008 and 2013, and Russian officials may have focused on Page in 2016 because of his affiliation with the campaign. However, the investigation did not establish that Page coordinated with the Russian government in its efforts to interfere in the 2016 election. It's a subtitle A, Background. This is page 96. Before he began working for the campaign in January 2016, Page had substantial prior experience studying Russian policy issues living and working in Moscow. From 2004 to 2007, Page was the deputy branch manager of Merrill Lynch's Moscow office. There, he worked on transactions involving the Russian energy company Gazprom and came to know Gazprom's deputy chief financial officer, Sergei Yatsenko. In 2008, Page founded Global Energy Capital LLC, GEC, an investment management and advisory firm focused on the energy sector in emerging markets. Next sentence is redacted by Bill Barr. The company otherwise had no sources of income, and Page was forced to draw down his life savings to support himself and pursue his business venture. Page asked Yatsenko to work with him at GEC as a senior advisor on a contingency basis, and then the rest of that paragraph is redacted by Bill Barr. In 2008, Page met Alexander Bulatov, a Russian government official who worked at the Russian consulate in New York. Page later learned that Bulatov was a Russian intelligence officer, and then the rest of that sentence and paragraph is deleted by Bill Barr. In 2013, Viktor Podobin, another Russian intelligence officer working covertly in the United States under diplomatic cover, formed a relationship with Page. Podobin met Page at an energy symposium in New York City and began exchanging emails with him. Podobin and Page also met in person on multiple occasions, during which Page offered his outlook on the future of the energy industry and provided documents to Podobin about the energy business. In a recorded conversation on April 8th, well, we'll pick this up tomorrow. It's the Mueller Report. Tom Harbin here with you. A big tip of the hat to Gene Koch, who uh, tweeted to me about Brett Kavanaugh. Let me just run through this. The U.S. Code 30121, right? And you can just Google that. I mean, you know, U.S. Code 30121. It is titled Voting and Foreign Elections, Contributions and Donations by Foreign Nationals. Now, this is what Congress passed. This is the law that the House and Senate both passed and the president signed into law at some point in the past. I'm not sure when. It shall be unlawful for a foreign national. Now, that's an individual or an individual representing a company, right? Not just a nation, but an individual. It shall be unlawful for a foreign national, directly or indirectly, to make a contribution or donation of money or other thing of value, Hillary Clinton's emails, or to make an express or implied promise to make a contribution or donation in connection with a federal, state, or local election. It shall be unlawful for a foreign national, directly or indirectly, to make a contribution or donation to a committee of a political party. 
It shall be unlawful for a foreign national, directly or indirectly, to make an expenditure, independent expenditure, or disbursement for an electioneering communication. And it shall be unlawful for a person to solicit, accept, or receive a contribution or donation from a foreign national of anything of value, which is exactly what Donald Trump just said he wants to do. Okay, so that's the law. But then we get to step number two. And step number two is what happened in 2011. You know, a few months ago when we read the Mueller report, we read about these charges against these Russians, these 13 Russians who were charged by Robert Mueller. And they were charged with conspiracy to commit bank fraud and aggravated identity theft. But what they were doing was trying to flip our election. Why were they not charged under 30121 U.S. Code, where it says a foreign national directly or indirectly may not make a contribution or donation of money or anything of value? Why weren't they charged under that? Well, it turns out that in 2011, a circuit court judge by the name of Brett Kavanaugh wrote an opinion about this law, about U.S. Code 30121. Two foreign nationals brought a case challenging this, oh, this passed in 2002, this law, that bans foreign contributions to U.S. campaigns. The case was Blumen versus Federal Election Commission, Blumen versus FEC. And what Kavanaugh wrote was that people who are not citizens cannot contribute directly to candidates or campaigns for, quote, express advocacy work. But and I'm quoting now from a piece in Mother Jones by Samantha Michaels. But he gutted the portion of the law that banned foreign spending that is not, quote, express advocacy. In other words, if, if a foreign government wants to run an ad that says, you should vote for Donald Trump, we love Donald Trump, that's express advocacy. That's still banned under Brett Kavanaugh's interpretation of this law. But if a foreign government runs an ad that says, let's say, you know, Trump ends up running against uh, Pete Buttigieg. If a foreign government runs an ad that says, Pete Buttigieg is a terrible guy because, you know, back 10 years ago, he tore up the streets in South Bend or something. That's not express advocacy. That's simply electioneering, right? It's not specifically campaigning for somebody. And according to Brett Kavanaugh, that's not a violation of this law. And in fact, the group, this company, it's called Concord Management and Consulting. It's run by a Russian oligarch who's close to Putin. And they spent, allegedly spent $1.25 million a month to set up rallies here in the United States on behalf of Trump, to spread disinformation, and quoting the Mueller report, quote, to interfere in U.S. political and electoral processes without detection of their Russian affiliation. And they were charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States. This company, this Russian-based company, is now coming forward and saying, because of Brett Kavanaugh's ruling on this law, you can't charge us. This is their defense. And here are the messages for which they were charged. They were running Facebook ads, memes, out on Twitter and whatnot, that said, and I quote, Hillary Clinton doesn't deserve the black vote. That's not express advocacy. That's not saying we love Donald Trump. Please vote for him. According to Brett Kavanaugh's ruling on this law.
this is another one. It said, Hillary is Satan, and her crimes and lies have proved just how evil she is. Well, that's not express advocacy. According to Brett Kavanaugh, what this law, a foreign national, directly or indirectly, may not make a contribution or donation of money or any other thing of value in connection with any federal, state, or local election. That seems pretty unambiguous to me. But Brett Kavanaugh says, no, 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 no. That means you can't do it if you're expressly advocating for a particular candidate. But, you know, if you're trying to change a law, if you're trying to attack a candidate, if you, anything else, that's fine, says Brett Kavanaugh. And this was back when he was a circuit court judge. This is crazy. This is legal, according to Brett Kavanaugh. And this Russian company is challenging this indictment that Mueller brought against them. And by the way, Mueller didn't indict them for election fraud because of Kavanaugh's decision. And so Donald Trump looks around and says, who shall I put on the Supreme Court? <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh is going to back him up. I mean, you know, Congress needs to clarify this law. They need to pass another law that just explicitly lays it out to knock down Kavanaugh's ruling. But this is how far we've gone. We are like full-blown, full-bore into the teeth of this hurricane of roaring fascism, authoritarianism. Well, one man rule, strong man rule. This is not how the United States is supposed to run. And we've got this president saying, oh, yeah, sure. You know, if Norway wants to give me information, a thing of value, to quote the law, I'll take it. Obviously, he wasn't thinking of Norway. We now know that there were six different countries who were involved in trying to swing our election back in 2016 and some of them again in 2018. And they included Saudi Arabia, Russia, the UAE, and Israel. There were two others. I'm sorry, I don't remember them off the top of my head. I don't have the story in front of me, but I remember those very clearly. That those countries, all run by, right now, you know, the people in power in those countries, authoritarian or authoritarian-leaning right-wingers, who have aligned themselves with Donald Trump independent of the American Constitution, independent of American law. In fact, I would say in defiance and flouting American law. And now Donald Trump is saying, hey, you know, I'm only polling at 41% here. Even Pete Buttigieg is beating me in the polls, right? Buttigieg, Harris, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, every single one of them beats Donald Trump in the polls right now. So he's like, hey, you know, anybody want to help out? I'll be real nice to you after I get reelected. This is the Tom Hartman program. Just like apparently he's saying right now to Michael Flynn, hey, I'll be real nice to you because Flynn just fired his lawyers and hired a Fox News lawyer. This is nuts. He's expecting a pardon. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. 
Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Steve in Conroe, Texas. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. My comment and question is, I was watching some of the mainstream media, and the pushback a lot of the Republican Congress people are using is that if what Trump's saying and you know what Hillary Clinton did was just as bad, which, to my understanding, Hillary Clinton and the DNC hired Fusion GPS, which is an American company right. based in Washington, D.C., right. and that wouldn't necessarily be against the law, would it? No. Fusion GPS compiled a huge report, hundreds of pages, certainly, of basically opposition research on Donald Trump. And let's not forget, they were first hired, Fusion GPS was first hired to do this by the Washington Examiner, I think is the name of the newspaper. It's a right-wing newspaper out of Washington, D.C., owned by a right-wing billionaire. They first hired Fusion GPS to look at Trump during the primary, during the Republican primary, because they wanted to take down Trump and promote, I think it was Marco Rubio or something. And then when Trump got the nomination and Fusion GPS lost the contract, Fusion went to the Democrats and said, hey, we've compiled all this stuff on Trump. You want to hire us? The Democrats said, sure, we'll hire you. And among the stuff that Fusion had gotten was the Steele dossier, which was, again, not from a foreign government. Michael Steele was a private contractor who happens to be a Brit. And so there's no comparison to what Trump is talking about and done. Well, the thing is, though, that you don't see the pushback coming from the people interviewing who are pointing that, that fact out. Right. It's just that they're allowed to use, I guess you could call that a false equivalency. That is exactly because, what it is. And nobody ever just calls them out. It was one of the, uh, the congressional people. He's a, a congressman from California that was on that I happened to catch him and another Republican senator using that same line saying, well, if that's so bad, then, you know, you need to go after Hillary Clinton. It's uh, apples and oranges. This foreign. Yeah, in, exactly. I mean, you hire a company, you hire that company if it's legal to do that. Now, I know they don't like regulations, but if you need more regulations for companies like that, maybe that could be looked at. Sure. But uh, that was just really my question. I, that was real interesting to hear about the Brett Kavanaugh ruling. I did not know that. One of the reasons I watch, I learn all the time. Thank you very much. Yeah, me too. And thank you, Stephen. And like I said, I learn all the time too. I read this story about the Kavanaugh thing back a year or so ago when I first appeared in Mother Jones. And then I forgot about it, you know, and somebody tweeted it today and it was like, oh yeah, you know, it was Steve, thank you for the call. Eric in Marion, South Carolina. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind today? Hey, how you doing, Tom? I was just about to ask the question that the guy just asked you just now. And you answered that perfectly. But also, the Clinton people decided not to use that information because they said they could not verify it. That's correct. But, so they never used the information. Right. But it was the Republican Party that actually paid for that, actually paid money for that information to be getting. Initially, yes. That's a, that's a fact now. So, like the guy said, I don't understand why the Democrats, when their question comes before them, or the news media don't correct 
them, the people that throw that out there. Right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Eric. And by the way, I would add, there's a big difference between hiring somebody who's a foreign national to do something or a foreign national making a contribution. The law prohibits foreign nationals from making contributions. That's a very different thing from doing work. Robert in Santa Ana, California. Hey, Robert, what's up? All right, Tom. I got a, just a couple of things I just wanted to say. When Trump took the oath of office, he swore or affirmed to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Right. Now, I know he has violated that in several ways. Is that something that possible they can add to other things? He definitely has violated the oath of office. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind, Robert, that when the articles of impeachment are drafted, they will include variations on that theme. Oh, okay. That's just been hanging in my mind for a long time, and I finally got through to just kind of... <laughs> well, that's what the founders meant when they wrote high crimes and misdemeanors. They didn't mean literally something that is against the law, you know, like, you know, it's against the law to jaywalk, so we're going to bust you for jaywalking. What they meant by the phrase high crimes, and you go back and you look at the literature and the language that was used back in the 18th century in the late 1700s, high crimes meant violations against your own country, things that hurt your country. They may not be necessarily illegal. And that's why they okay. called it high crimes. That is crimes of high office. It was associated with the office. And the presidency okay. is the highest office. So if, if he is using that office in ways that run counter to the interests of his country, whether they're explicitly against the law or not, those are things for which he can be impeached and frankly okay. should be impeached. And he's doing that I think every day, 10,000 lies in two years, just as a starting point. And the list goes on. Robert, thank you for the call. David in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hey, David, what's in your mind today? Hey, Tom, this is a question that's bothered me for quite a while. Can you name at any time in history, in any country in the world, that has given tax cuts to their wealthy and their businesses during times of armed conflict? No. No, typically they raise taxes so that they can pay for their weaponry. Exactly. <laughs> There's no country at any time. And it's how could this, how could we even think of it? Here we are in three hot wars, Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Yemen. We've got people pushing to go into Iran and Venezuela, and they're giving tax cuts. Granted, this started with Bush, but tax right. cuts no, it started with and Reagan. armed conflict. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Well, we weren't in armed conflict during Reagan, uh, you know, other than Grenada. But yeah, you're absolutely right, David. And the other thing is that the whole tax cut thing, you know, going back to Laffer and, you know, all these guys who were hanging out with Reagan and supply side economics, which was simply a reboot of what was called sparrow and horse economics back in, yeah. the, in the late 1800s and in the early 20th century, which is if you feed extra oats to the horses, they will go through fast enough and undigested enough that the horse poop will have more oats in it for the sparrows, right? And, you know, Reagan kind of cleaned that up with trickle-down economics. You know, if we're pouring all kinds of wine into the glasses of the billionaires at the table, some of it will spill over on the floor where you can lap it up, you know, you average working people. But Stockman, 
Yeah, David Stockman. Yeah, and he wrote a whole book apologizing for it. He's been on this program a number of times apologizing for it. But it's a lie. You know, the, the idea that tax cuts will stimulate the economy is simply a lie. It doesn't work. It never has worked unless they are tax cuts that are exclusively for working people. This is what Obama did after the Bush crash in 2008 is they suspended the social or half of the Social Security tax for a year, maybe a year and a half or two years. And that allowed working people to have enough money to go out and buy things. But when you cut taxes on rich people, no, it does nothing for the economy. It just makes the rich richer. David, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. I wanted to dig back into Milton Mayer's brilliant book from the 1950s. Milton Mayer was a Chicago journalist. I think he was writing for The Sun. And he himself was Jewish. Traveled over to Germany after World War II to ask average, quote, good Germans, to ask average Germans, how could this have happened? Right? This is just right after the war. How could this have happened? And he interviewed a bricklayer, a baker, a college professor, and there were 10 people. And he basically spent a few months with each one of them. I think he was there a year and a half, a year or something like that. I just want to share with you, now these guys are long dead. Milton Mayer is long dead. But this is what these average Germans, these were not Nazis, not members of the Nazi party. This is what they had to say. This separation of government from people, this is the college professor talking, this separation of government from people, this widening of the gap, took place so gradually and so insensibly, each step disguised, perhaps not even intentionally, as a temporary emergency measure or associated with true patriotic allegiance or real social purposes. And all the crises and reforms, and real reforms too, so occupied the people that they didn't see the slow motion underneath of the whole process of government growing remoter and remoter. To live in this process is absolutely not to be able to notice it. Please try to believe me. Unless one has such a greater degree of political awareness, acuity than most of us ever had the occasion to develop. Each step was so small, so inconsequential, so well explained, or on occasion regretted that unless one were detached from the whole process from the beginning, unless one understood what the whole thing was in principle, what all those little measures that no patriotic German could resent must someday lead to, one no more saw it developing from day to day than a farmer in his field sees the corn growing. And one day, it's over his head. And he talks about you know, how uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing as time goes on, it grows. Outside in the streets of the general community, everyone seems happy. You hear no protests. Certainly you see none. You say, it's not so bad. You know, your friends, they, they, what do they say? They say, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You're saying this must lead to that. But you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes. But how do you know for sure? How do you know the end? How do you know or even surmise the end? So let me just wrap up this little reading from They Thought They Were Free. This is Milton Mayer's iconic book. This is just absolutely extraordinary book. And he's talking about being an alarmist. This is the college professor. He says, 
You see, my colleague went on, one doesn't see exactly where or how to move. Believe me, this is true. Each act, each occasion is worse than the last, but only a little worse. You wait for the next and the next. You wait for the one great shocking occasion, thinking that others, when such a shock comes, will join you in resisting somehow. You don't want to act or even talk alone. You don't want to go out of your way to make trouble. Why not? Well, you're not in the habit of doing it. And it's not just fear, a fear of standing alone that restrains you. It is also genuine uncertainty. Uncertainty is a very important factor. And instead of decreasing, keep in mind, this was a, a college professor who lived through the Nazi years, through World War II. A German college professor talking to a reporter, to Milton Mayer in his book, They Thought They Were Free. And outside in the streets, in the general community, everyone seems happy. One hears no protest, certainly sees none. You know, in France or Italy, maybe there's slogans against the government, but in Germany, eh, outside the great cities, a little, but in the university community, in your own community, you speak privately to your colleagues, some of whom certainly must feel as you do, but what do they say? They say, ah, oh, it's not so bad. You're seeing things. You're an alarmist. And you are an alarmist. You are saying this must lead to that, but you can't prove it. These are the beginnings, yes, but how do you know for sure when you don't know the end? How do you know or even surmise the end? On the one hand, your enemies, the law, the regime, the party intimidate you. On the other hand, your colleagues poo-poo you as pessimistic or even neurotic. But the one great shocking occasion when tens or hundreds of thousands will join you never comes. That's the difficulty. If the last and worst act of the whole regime had come immediately after the first and the smallest, Thousands, yes, millions would have been sufficiently shocked if, let us say, the gassing of the Jews in 43 had come immediately after the German firm stickers on the windows in non-Jewish shops in 33. But of course, that isn't how it happens. In between come all the hundreds of little steps, some of them imperceptible, each of them preparing you not to be shocked by the next. Step C isn't so much worse than step B, and he didn't make a stand at B, so why should you do that step C? And then on to step D. And one day, too late, your principles, if you were ever sensible to them, all rush in upon you. The burden of self-deception. I think what he's describing here is what happened to Justin Amash, the Republican from Michigan. The burden of self-deception has grown too heavy, and some minor incident in my case, it was my little boy, hardly more than a baby, saying, Jew, swine. It collapses all at once, and you see that everything, everything has changed, and changed completely under your nose. The world you live in, your nation, your people, it's not the world you were in at all. The forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring, the houses, the shops, the jobs, the mealtimes, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed, because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, is changed. And now you live in a world of hate and fear. And the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. And now you live in a system which rules without responsibility to law or even to God. Milton Mayer's book, They Thought They Were Free. You're listening to Tom Hartman.
If you believe that you're not being snooped on or that nobody cares about your online data, well, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're wrong. Hackers, governments, and ad companies all slurp up your data. That's why I recommend getting the software that I trust to protect my online activity, ExpressVPN. Their apps use powerful encryption to secure your data. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the internet just like you normally would. You download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. I never go online without ExpressVPN, and you shouldn't either. ExpressVPN is the fastest VPN, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Take back your online privacy just like I did with ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com tom. That's expressvpn.com tom for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com tom. That's expressvpn.com t-h-o-m for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com tom. Tom to learn more. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how are you doing? The thing with this freak in the White House that really pounds my head every day is that it reminds me of the book that you talked about a lot. They, they thought they, they were, were free. free. Yeah. Yeah, and where the corn is over your head. I think the corn is over our head. It's there now. And I understand the trepidation with the Democrats not wanting to impeach now, but I think if they don't do it now, it's going to be too late. Yeah. Because his power is growing. The waves are just rolling too much. Well, and his, and his power is literally growing every day that the Senate appoints another right-wing judge. And that's all they're doing. Mitch McConnell will gavel the Senate into session. They'll pass a couple of judges, and then he'll say, okay, that's it. Let's go have lunch. And that's the end of it. I mean, they literally are not considering any legislation. It's insane, Will. Yeah, I really think that we are at the midnight hour here, and they yes. had, they got to impeach this guy, at least try to get this guy outed as the criminal he is. And expose his are, crimes. I mean, he may yeah. well be the first president in the history of the United States to go to prison after he leaves the White House. Nancy Pelosi has raised the possibility of that twice now, and it's obviously got Donald Trump freaked out, and I think that's what needs to happen. Will, thank you for the call. Spot on. Russ in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Russ, what's up? Yeah, Tom, I wanted to say I agree with you that this is treason. At the very least, it's the declaration of an intent to violate a federal law. And people need to call their member of the House of Representatives. Whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you are a patriotic American, you need to call your member of the House and tell them to get on board with the impeachment of this monster. Yeah. The only reason Nancy Pelosi is not coming out for impeachment right now is she does not have what they call the whip count. She doesn't have the votes in her caucus. And people need to get in touch with their member of the House and tell them to get behind the move to convene a inquiry of impeachment That's in right. the House Judiciary. And, and, and what she knows, Russ, and what I know you know, is that the reason she doesn't have those votes is because we haven't had the public hearings. And now we've got, okay, Hope Hicks is going to testify, but only behind closed doors. Donald Trump Jr. testified, but only behind closed doors. If it doesn't happen on television, it doesn't happen. That's basically what's real in America right now. Donald Trump knows that. He was groomed and trained and coached for years, for a decade, by NBC, by some of the very best people in the business and how to do reality television. And he is using that skill set now that he acquired doing that to inflict fascism on the United States from the White House. It is nuts. Russ, I got to move along, but thank you for the call and thanks for the heads up on U.S. Code 30121. Uh, Tim in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? Yeah, you know, 
what I find ironic and the people that really understand is that the monster that guy's been in office for two and a half years, he hasn't been held accountable for basically anything. So why right. should he be held accountable for what he said? Well, and I think right now the reason why Mike Flynn just dumped his lawyers and went with this Fox News lawyer who is selling Trump campaign stuff on her website and has called Mueller and his fellow prosecutors terrible names. I think the reason Mike Flynn has done that is that the word got from Trump to Flynn, just as I think it did to Manafort, hang on and I will pardon you. And, you know, Trump is using pardons. And that's one of the 10 points that Mueller makes about obstruction of justice, that he was dangling pardons. It is so clear that this guy is committing treason right in front of us and has been doing so for two and a half years. Tim, thank you for the call. Joanne in Middletown, Connecticut. Hey, Joanne. Hi. I am very frustrated because I think Senator Warren had it right from the beginning. You, they don't need any other information. It's right there, and they need to move to impeach. Yes. And I did. Well, this is what Justin Amash, the Republican from Michigan, is saying: is that if you read the Mueller report, you've got to impeach there. Trump. This is a Republican. And I think he's in this constant, chronic obstruction mode. Yeah. It's chronic. Oh, at yeah. this point. Yeah. And people are going to become apathetic. And if anything, by not impeaching him, it's going to hurt the Democrats because he's going to say, well, they didn't impeach me because they couldn't. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's more than just it's, it's going to hurt the Democrats. They need to do this, and I'm just really frustrated about it. Yeah, it's more than it's just that he's going to hurt the Democrats. He is hurting our republic. Yeah. He is, right, and, and he is not just hurting our republic. He is, you know, the United States, the president of the United States, the bully pulpit he holds, is a role model for democracies around the world. Yeah. And, I mean, this is nuts. Joanne, thank you for the call. He is basically telling, you know, all these right-wing guys, you know, Jair Bolsonaro in, in Brazil and Duterte in the Philippines and Erdogan in Turkey and, you know, the guy in Poland and then what's his name in Fidesz in, in Hungary. Yeah, it's just fine. You know, it's just fine. You're listening to Tom Hart. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And frankly, he's telling this to all of the right-wing parties in all of the fully developed European democracies. Oh, treason, it's a great thing. This is dangerous. Blaine in Thousand Oaks, California, listening on KPFK. Tom, you're my hero. Thank you. I won't take up much of your time. Just wanted to pass along a quick update. This just in from the real fake news desk. In yet another unprecedented move, President Trump has just replaced his entire staff with Russian spies and oligarchs. <laughs> when asked for comment, Nancy Pelosi warned of not rushing into any moves to initiate proceedings that may be misinterpreted is trying to remove the president. Right. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Blaine. I get it. You know, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's painful. It's just painful. Beth in Cypress, California. Beth, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. What's on my mind is tag, I'm it. I do not and will not buy aluminum drink containers, specifically from Kentucky, manufacturing yeah. for Mitch McConnell's pet Russian oligarch. Yeah. Well, the factory's not up yet. They'll probably start uh, building it next year just in time for the election. And glass containers, and will continue not to buy aluminum. In a study conducted in the early 1990s, it caused my then elderly father to have memory lapses. The family stopped using aluminum containers and cooking pots, and his memory improved. He passed away in 1999. 
Thank you very much for the call. And yes, there was, you know, back, uh, geez, 20, 30 years ago, this concern that aluminum might be implicated in Alzheimer's, that it might cause neurofibrillated tangles. I think that by and large, we have found that that's not the case, that there's some sort of an inflammatory mechanism that has to do with Alzheimer's rather than aluminum. But, you know, I'm still not a fan of ingesting any kind of metal outside of iron, and even iron can be toxic to men. So be careful. So as you probably know, we do special video clips for people who are supporters of our program. They're available over at TomHartman.com at our website. And the most recent one is pretty amazing. There's a new study that was just published in the medical journal, in the scientific journal, Aging and Mechanisms of Disease. That's the name of the journal. And of course, they look at aging and mechanisms of disease. And in this case, they're looking at the mechanism of Alzheimer's and the association of beta amyloid plaques, the stuff that creates the neurofibrillary tangles that ruin the brain, and inflammation, and THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, the active ingredient in marijuana, the stuff that gets you high. And the results are just absolutely startling. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com and get the link to it and find out all about it. And at Patreon.com slash TomHartman. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do. Alan Ratner's new book on the line with us is the former congressman from Ohio and author of Sideswiped, Bob Nay. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. So what's up? Well, before we go international, let's. how about we go national? Okay. And tomorrow, of course, kicks off the campaign that really never ended anyway, the Trump campaign. It uh, never stopped. In fact, as you know, he had rallies after he was sworn in. But tomorrow is the official deal in Orlando, Florida. And one of the surprises that is coming out of this tomorrow that surfaced today is the president is going to bring health care debate front and center as he kicks off his bid for his second term. And this is a bit surprising. And Republicans, Tom, are extremely nervous about this because, you know, as we know, there was the ACA, known as Obamacare, that came out. And then there were some issues raised with Obamacare. And, of course, President Trump tried to seize that opportunity of some tweaks of the health care bill to say that it should be, well, of course, he took a little different approach than Ted Cruz, who Ted Cruz said, let's, you know, repeal it. And then the president said, repeal and replace. As you and I and everybody else that listens to your show and everybody in this nation knows, nothing happened. Now, whether it was repeal, replace, tweak, or whatever, nothing happened, so that commitment was made. And then the Democratic side, which made a better play on health care the second round, because, you know, the first round, they, some people ran from it, and then that uh, caused the Republicans to be able to go after them. Well, the second round, it was utilized to help in a lot of the House races, as yeah. we know. Yeah. And so it's sort of just there, but now the president's going to resurrect everything, and a lot of Republicans have been trying to tell him not to do this, don't come up with a plan, and because the Republicans... But he's announced it, Bob. He announced it last week. He said within two months he's going to have a replacement for Obamacare. Right. So he's coming out with it again tomorrow. It's going to be a highlight of it. And again... He's basically daring the Republicans, isn't he? Uh, Do something here, damn it. 
Well, yes, but the problem they're going to have is they don't have anything that they're going to do. They don't going have to anything do. to do that fits with the Republican hierarchy of priorities. Yeah, because the priority has been, the promise has always been the private market will take care of it, and we all know the private market doesn't take care of it. Yeah, there are some so things I the private market does really well. They make good cars. I don't want the government making my car. I, I drove a Trevi right. when I was in Germany. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, the private economy does a crappy job with health insurance, which is why every other developed country in the world has turned off the private companies and turned on government. Well, exactly. So it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens with it. I think the Democratic side's going to seize it. And then, of course, a lot of Republicans will then be in a position to have to either denounce the president's plan or try to defend it. It's Very just interesting. That he I heard that Mitt Romney is trying to come up with something that he can bring to Trump and say, here, why don't you present this? And, of course, Obamacare is based on Romney care in Massachusetts, which Romney is... Romney care. Yeah. Exactly. It's right. nuts, but uh, we'll right. see. And then turning international, of course, Senator Tom Cotton, his watch broke. I didn't know this. Have you heard about the fact that Senator Tom Cotton's watch broke on Attack Iran Day years ago? It was called Attack Iran Day, and he's never replaced it. You mean literally? Where's that? Yes. Yeah. Wow. You know, Iran I can see Day that as a metaphor because he's basically saying, you know, if Trump wants to attack Iran, that's fine with me. He can do it. He's got the power. Mm -hmm. That's an opinion that's not shared by many of his colleagues. Correct. But he actually wears a watch that's broken, and it was a, a day for the attack Iran day. So, again, of course, yesterday he called for a retaliatory military strike on Iran. And then we can follow back up with the Secretary of State, who has become a little bit more vocal and active on this. He kind of backed off on the Iran situation for a while. But today, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, is going to meet with the United States military commanders that oversee American forces in the Middle East. Now, I would note this was a pre-planned meeting anyway, but now it's turning into a meeting, you know, concerning Iran with the forces. And also, as we, the United States, through Pompeo, has said, yes, the Iranians did this, officially with the tanker attacks, officials in Japan, Germany, and the other European Union countries have indicated that more information is required before they conclude that Iran sanctioned it and did it and orchestrated the explosion. So I right. just wanted to add there. Bob, the you are a Republican congressman from Ohio. You know these guys. You know Mike Pompeo. You know John Bolton. Bolton's been on my show a bunch of times. It's been a lot of years. But do you think that it's possible, conceivable, that these guys could actually get us into a war with Iran yeah. just in time for the election to help Donald Trump yeah. out with the election? Absolutely. And if you look at what's going on, you'll see a struggle. The president himself, he's at stage three, I call it, with John Bolton. There's five stages before you fire somebody. By the way, I predicted on Facebook just this weekend that Bolton will not be there at the end of the summer. Huh. That's my prediction. He'll be replaced. But the president's at stage three with Bolton, where he starts to publicly embarrass him, which he did in Japan. Now, forces can try to keep Bolton in there, because as you know, the Cheney forces, the neocon forces, are the reason Bolton's there at all. Right. You know. So we're, we're going to have to stand by, but Bolton wants a war. Make no bones about it. He wants a war for the election. Oh, all these guys who are afraid to go to Vietnam are just desperate to have to send our children off to war. Bob Nay. Bob, Thank thanks you. so much for dropping by today. It's always fascinating talking with you. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day. 
on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 